Playing games is a year-round hobby for some, but buying and exploring new games is also a great holiday tradition. And games are an everyday endeavor for writer and gaming designer James Louder. Every year, he joins us to share his games to gift list, which includes everything from family games to player games to tabletop games and games for experienced gamers. So, whether you're just curious about getting into gaming or looking for a gift for the serious gamer in your life, chances are Louder has a suggestion for you. Louder joins Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski with his picks for the best games to gift this year. We're already closing in on 2023, if you can believe it. But when it comes to the gaming world, what stood out to you the most this past year as far as trends go? Well, the trends are interesting because, you know, one of them is a continuation. The what used to be marginalized hobby games that appeal to a very small audience are moving more and more into the mainstream. So you can go to big box stores and find Ticket to Ride and and Catan and the people listening to this segment, we've been doing it now for 14 years, uh, are very familiar with games now that 14 years they never would have heard of. Um, and that's that's amazing, it, it, even to the point where next year, the Postal Service just announced they're doing 50th anniversary Dungeons and Dragons commemorative stamps. It's a bit mind boggling to think of, uh, I, I contributed to a game that's now going to have a stamp. You know you've made it when you have a postal stamp. It is kind of amazing to 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 see that recognition uh, where even even five years ago that wouldn't have been possible. Exactly. And a second area of trends and growth that you've seen has to do with academic institutions. Yes, and that's another version of that sort of embrace. Academic institutions are now taking games more seriously, both in terms of offering programs where they're teaching game design, but also using games in education. Uh, That's just getting started locally. There are some schools throughout Wisconsin that are doing it. Not so much in Milwaukee yet, but I think we're heading in that direction. Uh, But places like Central Michigan University, and I know Valparaiso is starting a, a program, uh, and some of those places even publish their own games, which is astounding to see them actually running these programs and creating content. Well, I like that there's a crossover because often there's the values of entrepreneurship, of resourcefulness, and you see so many Kickstarter games that turn mainstream and hopefully universities can kind of have the same impact. Right. And the other thing that they've got the advantage of, too, is they can do games that maybe are not directly commercial and uh, mainstream publisher Hasbro or someone or even some of the mid-tier hobby game publishers would get behind it. But what they can do is foreground content that's important and designs that are important that they think belong out there. So when it comes to games that have been out, at least in the past year, we're going to dive into some of your top picks here. We're going to start with family games. And one that stands out to you in particular is called Daybreak. What's this one about? Well, and it's it's a perfect example of, of that sort of educational leaning content in games. And this is a commercial game, but it is a, a co-op game, one to four players, 10 and up where players control world powers trying to rein in global warming. And over the course of the game, what you're trying to do is 
uh, decarbonize your economies and your energy systems so that you win, the players cooperatively win, if they lower uh, the carbon being generated so that the ecosystem, the earth can deal with it. That's the mutual win. And so you play cards to run projects. So you're going to reforest areas and, and things like that. Running against that, if the global temperature rises above a certain point, or if your plans have enough human cost that cause crises for people, everybody collectively loses. Uh, and it's got very serious educational weight to it this this is a game that can be played in classrooms however it's a, it's just a great game design it's being written up in places like uh the journal science but it takes a very positive take on it so that as a game it's entertaining you can cooperate and work together and have positive impact on this thing that is a very important problem we have a couple other quick mentions for family games. Do you want to go into those? Sure, yes. If, if you're not looking for the educational weight, there are a couple of great car-based games. Uh, Thunder Road Vendetta is a car combat game. It's a, it's a redo of a game from the 80s uh, with some additional material. And uh, Heat, Pedal to the Metal, is just a great race game. Uh, there's a new version of Acquire, a classic from the 1960s. It was one of the flagship games in 3M's bookshelf games library in the 60s, which you know, the post-it note people used to do these amazing games in the 60s up in Minnesota. And this was this was one of the best ones. And it's got a new version out now that's uh, it's very entertaining. And really, there's no version of this game that isn't a win. And then there's a trading card game, uh, Disney Lorcana. It's a little hard to get right now. There's there's supply problems with this, but it's a it's a trading card game using the Disney animated IP, and it's very accessible for families. But because it's a trading card game, it also sort of leans into hobby games. And next up, we do have hobby games, and these are the ones that are a little more involved. They take a bit of time for dedicated play, and your top pick in this category is a familiar one that we've talked about some iteration of this, Ticket to Ride Legacy Legends of the West. Yes, and, and Ticket to Ride in and of itself is a very accessible family game. Uh, players tend it up. It's, you, you claim train routes uh, across maps of different parts of the world. Uh, what the legacy version of this game does is it's late 19th century. You're trying to create your railroad, build it as a company. Starting on the East Coast, you're only working on a map of a limited area in the East Coast. Over 12 different sessions of this game, you will expand the map and change the rules so that depending on how you play, you will uh, change that game, how the game that you are playing at your table plays forever. That game is now different from how other people are playing it. Uh, and then you expand the map and you add pieces and there are secret components that you can't look at until you play a certain number of games. It's great. And Ticket to Ride in and of itself is a fantastic game. This is uh, moving that into the hobby space where you play through your 12 games. And the great part about it is at the end of those 12 games, you have a version of the game that you can then just continue to play. 
that's your version of Ticket to Ride legacy from there. And that's an innovation from a lot of earlier legacy games where you would play the sequence and then when you were done, you're done. You don't play that game again. This one actually looks to be a long-term hobby creation. With it being so long-term, what would you say like the average play time would be to get to those 12? The individual games play from like 20 to 90 minutes. That's one of the amazing parts about Ticket to Ride. And that's why all of the, the whole Ticket to Ride family of games are very accessible. Uh, but this one qualifies as a hobby game in part because this is a pricey package. It's over $100. But when you look at it over the course of you're playing $10 a game for those 12 and then you get the game forever and it's your game and it's only customized for the people you've had around your table. We have a few quick mentions for hobby games. Uh, one is all about the hive mind. It's called Apiary. Yes, uh, this is a, a good game to play if you lose enough games of Daybreak. Uh, these are super intelligent bees that take over the earth uh, at some point in the future. And it's a worker placement game where they're moving out into the universe, uh, exploring planets uh, and gathering victory points. It's a Connie Vogelman design. A really sharp worker placement hobby game. The uh, the other two that I'll mention, one is Mind Management, uh, which is a hidden movement game of psychic espionage based on the uh, comic book graphic novel series. Uh, and that's designed by Jake Cormier and uh, Sen Fun Lim. Hidden movement games are a challenge. They take a lot of concentration, a lot of focus at the table, but this would, this is a really good one. Uh, and the other one is Snapship Tactics, which takes, Snapships are these uh, airplanes and spaceships that, that are sort of Lego-like. You can build them with these components. Uh, and this is a customizable skirmish miniatures rule set for those customizable ships. So it takes the toys and you get to have battles with them. So speaking of toys, we're going to go to kids games and we're going to go fishing for your top pick. Yes, there's a new edition. I, I mentioned, you know, acquires a, a new version of a classic game. Hey, That's My Fish is not as, as old a game. It's only 20 years old. And it's been around in a couple of editions. But the new edition from Next Move improves the play components. And at its base, it is a great game for two to four players, eight and up. You control a penguin, you can move in a straight line across these ice flows collecting fish. But as you move across the ice, you remove the ice you've crossed. So it changes the game and it's really actually an abstract strategy game because you're then manipulating the board to try and corner the other player's penguins so they can't move. Uh, that, that makes it a little cutthroat uh, as, a, as a kid's game. But it's a really clever design. You're, you're basically, you're trying to gather up the most fish. That's the goal for the game. But it's got that great abstract strategy component to it that makes it a really fun kids game that parents are going to want to play too. And along the animal theme, our quick mentions for kids games are Cats and Boxes and Chicken. Yes, Cats and Boxes is a one-player game. It's actually a puzzle game where you've got a little gridded board and puzzle pieces and little cats and little boxes. 
and you set up one of the 60 uh, puzzles for it, and then you try to manipulate the pieces uh, to make it work so you get the solution. That's a really great little game, uh, and it works for kids all the way to adults as a puzzle game. Uh, and Chicken is a press-your-luck dice game where you are trying to collect chickens and avoid rolling too many foxes. If you press your luck too far on the dice and get too many foxes, your turn's over. So this next category is great because it's two-player games. So what's your top pick for a game night with a friend? The game Sky Team is, I think, going to go down as a a long-term classic as a two-player game. Luke Raymond uh, designed this game where you and your uh, the other person you're playing with, it's a co-op game where you're trying to land an airplane at various airports around the world. So it's got different scenarios you can play. It's essentially played in two phases. There's a communication phase where you talk about what you're hoping to do. And then there's a dice rolling and dice placement phase where you really can't talk to the other person you're playing with. And so you're trying to place these dice that you've rolled on the control panel for the plane to control the axis, the tilt axis, and the speed and all of the other things and not move so fast that you run into the other planes that may be in your way, but you can't talk while you're doing it. So so it's actually, it's really a tense game. Uh, a, A lot of fun. It plays over like 15 minutes. So it's really tense, but you're not suffering that for two hours. It's you play, oh, we, we didn't land where we were supposed to this time. Let's try this again. And uh, it's just a, a great design and just a novel approach to two-player games. And that's always a plus. You can just, when you're trying to convince that one friend who doesn't like games or says they don't like games, you'd be like, just give me 15 minutes of your time. Right. And yes. And because it's, you're balancing, basically, once you roll the dice, you're balancing the, what your dice roll one against the other and trying to keep, say, the speed within a certain range. And depending on what those two dice that you put on the board, one the pilot puts on, one the co-pilot puts on, that's going to either move the plane in a good or bad direction for where you want to go. So it's very accessible, very easy. The game design itself, the cockpit uh, control panel for the plane is cleverly designed. It's all very accessible. Just a just a terrific, terrific game. Now for the quick mentions of two-player games. Yes, there's uh, an abstract strategy game, uh, Kowali, which is a uh, moving stacks of stones, and you're trying to trying to line up four of your color in a row. It's a more classic abstract strategy game, and that's for kids eight and up. So that's an, another one that actually doubles as a kind of a family game, kids game. Uh, and the other one is uh, Till the Last Gasp by Will Heinmarch and and Alex Roberts. That's for 14 and up. It's it's actually more of a hobby game. It's a two-player duel game where you're, you know, having a duel against the other player using cards and dice, but it leans very heavily into a role-playing game component. So why your character is doing what you're doing and what the backstory between your characters are, are things that you develop based on role-playing game prompts. So it's that clever mix of different mechanics for games. Now for role-playing games or RPGs, your top pick is called Ink. How does this game work? So in Ink from Snowbride Studio, your characters are all dead. 
that's where you start. And you are moving through the ink, trying to balance out your spirit and your shadow, which are different aspects of your character, to basically succeed and grow as a character so you can ex escape the ink and move on from the afterlife. It's a clever game because it's, in and of itself, it's got a, a very basic D6 mechanic. Character creation is very quick. But it also actually layers on to other role-playing games. If you have a favorite Dungeons & Dragons or Call of Cthulhu character that died at the end of a game, you can kind of segue into Ink and continue playing that character and, and do some more interesting things, interesting storytelling with that character. It's a, it's a, a very... Uh, it's a very innovative sort of design that's also quite thoughtful. And things that you're trying to accomplish with your character are not the usual role-playing, what people commonly think of as role-playing game, combat and fight the dragon and take their stuff. That's not what this game is about. While it's not about that necessarily, that is always a classic part of RPGs. So your quick mentions involve some starter sets, right? Yes, starter sets are always great for role-playing games. They're, they're structured to introduce players to role-playing game concepts, uh, and we've covered several over the years. Uh, two of the best ones this year are, are Dragonbane from Free League, which is uh, kind of the American launch for a long-lived Swedish role-playing game. Uh, and the other one is Pendragon, which is a, a starter set for what is considered the gold standard of role-playing games for a lot of people, uh, Greg Stafford's Pendragon, which is Arthurian role-playing. And that is, as a setting, very accessible to people who have never role-played a game before. You sort of get what Arthurian Britain is supposed to be about. Uh, this one actually expands the game from earlier editions and includes uh, women knights and different things like that to, to make the game more generally appealing for a modern audience. Speaking of modern, your next quick mention is called Women Are Werewolves. I'm very intrigued just by the title alone. <laughs> yes, from Ninth Level Games. And it's another one of those really thoughtful setups for a role-playing game. All of the players play non-binary characters in a world where your families think only women are werewolves. So the game is how you negotiate the family politics and the gender politics and the other things that go on around that basic core concept for the game. Like the science-leaning games or the educational-leaning games, this is tackling a serious topic in a way that makes it accessible and opens up your game table for potentially serious, awesome discussions. As we mentioned, one of your trends is all about the educational content, and your top pick for 2023, as far as games go, falls into this category. What's it called? It does. The top pick for this year is Votes for Women, designed by Tori Brown, and the game itself has just world-class educational content. The idea for the game is the players are either trying to pass or oppose the 19th Amendment to get women to vote. And it's essentially a card-based war game. And the person trying to, uh, to forward the suffrage movement has two goals, to get the amendment passed through Congress, which requires a certain amount of, of effort, 
but they've also got to pay attention to the individual states because once the amendment is passed, they have to get 36 of the then 48 states to ratify it. And the way that happens is through event cards and different things that draw very heavily upon historical content. So like a game we covered a couple of years ago, Watergate, uh, the two-player game, the cards and all of the content for this game are steeped in this historical material. There is not a way to play this game without learning something, which is great. And even better, in and of itself, it's a fantastic card-based war game. It's been compared to the classic Twilight Struggle, which is a Cold War card-based war game, and it's a justified comparison. Well, I feel like with all the games, either you're going to learn something or learn something about yourself. <laughs> it's true. Or the people that you the, the people that you're sitting around the table with, like, I don't ever want to play diplomacy with these people again. Uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, there's plenty of suggestions for people to get started and kind of feel it out here. And uh, Jim, I want to thank you so much for working on this list and for coming back to share more games to gift. Well, as always, thank you very much for having me. James Lauder is a freelance game designer and editor, and he spoke with Lake Effect's Audrey Nowakowski for our annual Games to Gift conversation. At wuwm.com, you can find their full conversation and our past Games to Gift segments. <laughs>